If you guys would, please go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a quick explanation on a little bit about how we teach at Crosspoint, in case you're new here. Um, we normally teach what's called expository or exegetically through a book of a Bible. And so we pick a book, such as Matthew, which is what we've been in most recently, and then we just preach each passage of that book sequentially and just let the message of that book drive what we talk about on Sunday mornings. Um, we really value that. We think there's a ton of benefits to that. There's another type of teaching called, called topical teaching, which we're not against. Um, it's just not our preference if we have to choose one or the other. Um, but there's a lot of advantages to topical teaching, too. One, one theologian put it this way, that when you preach through a book of the Bible exegetically or in an expository manner, you're kind of preaching along the text. You're, you're going with the flow of the scripture and letting it drive and guide and outline what you're doing. But there's some benefits too to every once in a while preaching across the text, thinking about in any particular subject or topic, what does scripture at large in general say about those things? And you see guys doing topical messages, doing a lot of bouncing around in the text and that kind of a thing. Um, so again, what we like to do at Crosspoint is expository, but during Advent, um, we do what's more, a little bit more topical, where we're going to talk more about the coming of Jesus and what that means as it relates across all of Scripture. And so we're going to be in a base text um, that talks about teaching, because the way we've broken up this series is this different se- it's a season for different things to help us slow down, pull back, and focus on the coming of Jesus in this season. And so today we're going to be talking about teaching. So I'm going to be in a text that that talks a lot about the importance and value of teaching. So please read this text with me, and then we'll come back through it and kind of pick it apart. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So as we're looking across the text, and in this passage specifically, um, I thought it'd be fun, talking about a season for teaching, to just do a quick search on how many times the word teach, or some derivative thereof, teaching, taught, teaches, appears in Scripture. And it turns out that number is 260, which is pretty much every day of the year minus weekends, okay? So you get the weekends off, right? But for every other day of the year, there's something to be taught in Scripture. So the first question I want us to ask about this text is who should be taught? When we talk about it's a season for teaching, what do I mean? Teaching, teaching who? 
all right? Um, so let's look at chapter 4, um, verse, uh, verse 6, and give you a little context for the passage. So chapter 4, verse 6 says this, For I'm, re- I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So that, I want to read that verse because it gives us some context of this book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last writing we have from the Apostle Paul. And it was likely written days, if not weeks, or sorry, weeks, if not days, before he died um, in prison or was executed. And so you can kind of hear that tone in these words, like, I've done it. I've finished the race. I've fought the good fight. I've run the race. So think of these, this passage right above that that we just read is Paul's final charge to Timothy. These are the last things he knows he is ever going to say to this brother. Like this is his last chance to say one final challenge, one final charge, one final encouragement to, to Timothy. And this is what he essentially says is that you need to put these things, these doctrines, these teachings, hold fast to them and put them before your people. That the primary work of a pastor is to guard the deposit of biblical doctrine, pass it on, and teach it to others. It's written to an elder or pastor, Timothy, but it's, this is applicable for everyone, okay? And so we're going to talk a lot this morning about parents, about parents' involvement in the, the life of their kids and their role in teaching and discipling them in the things of the Lord, these doctrines, these beliefs that we find in Scripture. Um, but maybe you're not a parent in here, and that's okay. Maybe you're a grandparent or an uncle or a brother or a sister. At any case, we all have a responsibility, similar to Timothy, of being faithful to pass on the teachings of Scripture to those God has entrusted us with influence over. And so the answer of who should be taught, really, is everyone. Because Paul is telling Timothy, this is what you need to do to be successful. This is the the metric by which God will judge your faithfulness as a pastor over the people that have been entrusted to your oversight, is if you teach and preserve and entrust these things. If you hold fast to these teachings that you received from your grandmother, hold them dear to your heart, keep them, pass them on, and pass them down to those in your care. One of the reasons I love our, our model at Crosspoint is that we, we, we share the pulpit. We don't have one guy up here 50 weeks out of the year. And um, I'm not saying that's a, a terrible thing. You may have been a part of a church or be at a church that does that. That's fine. But just for me personally, I know that I need to be taught too. I know that I need to be sitting where you are, receiving instruction from the scripture, from other godly men, sitting with my family, being discipled and modeling what it looks like, not just to teach, but to receive teaching because all of us are in need of receiving it. Paul says, this is the medicine you're going to give. This is the food you're going to serve to the nine-year-old in the 90-year-old, right? There's not a different set of instructions for what faithfulness looks like when you're talking to a 5-year-old versus a 50-year-old. That the, the way to be faithful as a believer, as a pastor in this text, is through holding fast to and passing along these biblical doctrines, these teachings. So let's talk about, talked about the value of teaching, who should be taught. Let's talk about what should be taught. Was it that he's saying should be taught in this? And the answer is this, that it is the ancient truths of Scripture. The ancient truths of Scripture. 
So Paul's telling Timothy, this is your content. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So he talks about the centrality of the scriptures, and he really emphasizes two things, um, their age and their powers. Let's look at their age first, the age of these scriptures. In 3.15, he says, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So Paul is putting a lot of emphasis on the idea that what you're to teach these people under your care are old things. Not new things that God is going to impart to you that you're then going to relay to your people. But the same stuff you learned, Timothy, from your mother and your grandmother, that's the same stuff you need to teach these people that are under your care. He's pointing them back to old, sacred writings. Why does he emphasize that so much? Well, I think it's because most of us in our hearts, we long for stuff that is new, right? We don't, we don't like things that are old hat, right? We, we want something new, something fresh, something we haven't considered or seen or heard or done before, right? That the human heart is ever pining for something new. And Paul is kind of getting ahead of that. He's telling Timothy, look, your job is interesting here because people are going to have itching ears that gravitate. They, they're, gonna get, they're not going to endure sound doctrine, but they're going to chase after new ideas and they're going to be drawn to new things and fresh things, things they haven't done or seen or heard before. Your job is to feed people something old even though they're longing and wanting something new. The ancient writings, these sacred texts of Scripture, the same ones you learned from your mother and grandmother. And it's the same for us today. If you think in the context of parents, right, that as we're teaching our kids, our kids are ever wanting something new, a new idea, something they haven't seen or heard or done before. But our job is to constantly provide them with and feed them the ancient truths and realities found in our Bible. There's a reason he's warning Timothy of this in particular. And he goes on to say in verse 14, As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And he goes on to talk about how the time is coming when people aren't going to endure that, but they're going to gravitate towards these other teachings and they will accumulate for themselves. They will go find teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear to suit their passions. And there's a, there's a temptation in every generation for the church of God to abandon the ancient teaching of Scripture and chase down what the culture around us is telling us should be valued and celebrated. And Paul says this to Timothy, basically, as sure as the sun will come up in the morning, most certainly when you find a cultural teaching of what should be accepted and what should be celebrated in your day, as sure as that teaching is there, there will be people in the church who abandon the sacred teachings and begin to supply those new ideas and give that to people to suit their passions. He says, but as for you, endure suffering. In other words, if you hold on to this, if you hold on to these sacred texts and come back to this and don't drift off into these new ideas that the culture wants to push on you, but hold on to these ancient teachings, there will be some suffering that comes along with that. 
Again, parents, we are in the same boat. In this Christmas season, it can be tempting for us to define our success in the month of December by how many new things we give our kids, right? What, what are we putting under the tree? Because my kids, they really like when I give them new stuff, right? That, man, if I just, if all we do this season is focus on these ancient biblical principles that they've heard their whole life, what, man, they're just not going to be very excited about that. So I want to challenge us as parents to, man, go ahead and get your kids something new, put it under the tree. I'm not discouraging presents or anything like that. But to not miss the opportunity this season to bring them back to the old ancient truths of Scripture. I love that we sing so many songs in the Christmas season that were written hundreds of years ago, right? Um, lots of these really ancient old songs packed with truth. Encourage you to take an opportunity to sing those songs to your kids or listen to those songs with your kids and to just kind of dissect them and talk about, hey, listen, kids, people have been singing this song in the church for over a hundred years. Why do you think that is? Well, let's look at the words in this song and what it says and how it points us to the realities of who Jesus is and what he's done. And maybe point them back to some, some of these Old Testament scriptures that get quoted a lot during the Christmas season. One of the things we're doing with my family is we're trying to memorize Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I've got it written down, so you can tell I'm not doing so hot with that. But I'm going to read this to you. Just, just listen to this kind of, this sounds just like this sacred, um, ancient promise given hundreds of years before Jesus came. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But Paul is encouraging Timothy to don't feel the pressure to provide or come up with a new thing, but hold fast to and put before the people under your care these old ancient truths of Scripture. It is the same truths that have caused the church to endure and be sustained for 2,000 years. Woe to us if we start saying, well, times have kind of changed since then, and maybe we need to adjust and adapt. Paul says, no. The things you heard from your grandmother, hold on to them, preserve them, teach them to those under your care. It's not just because they're, they're old and there's that wisdom, but it's also because of their power. In verse 15, it says this, and how from childhood you've been in, acquainted with the sacred writings, listen to this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting that when Paul says the sacred writings, he's talking strictly about the Old Testament, right? This, when Paul's writing this, this is before we had any kind of a New Testament, any sort of writings about Jesus of Nazareth, the, the, the person that, the, that lived 2,000 years ago. Nothing had been written since he'd been born. All these things were, were things that were written, these sacred writings. And he says, these writings, the Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. That in the Old Testament, you find things that will point you to your, the need for faith in God's Messiah and the promise of his coming, of who he will be and what he will do. And it's not hard to see that. I mean, think about even a passage like 
Isaiah 53, right, where Isaiah talks about um, he was wounded, right, and he was crushed for our trans- bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. We like sheep have gone astray, but God hath laid upon him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That the power of the scriptures, first and foremost, is that they're able to point you to your need for Jesus. And that's true in the Old Testament as well as the New. But their power isn't just in their ability to point us to Jesus. It's in their ability to create very practical change in our lives. When we talk about these teachings that Paul is telling Timothy to pass on, we're not talking about just information to fill someone's mind of, of, of things that would help them um, do well at a Bible trivia test. Okay, This isn't just like packing your mind full of information. These are teachings that transform who we are if we hang on to them, not just filling our heads. Um, I want you to listen to this passage from Titus. It's a very similar passage where Paul has just instructed Titus the same thing to, um, to not depart from these teachings, but to hold on to them and to present them before the people under his care. And as he talks about these teachings, listen to what he says the effect these teachings will have if they are held to and, and put forth before his people. He says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Listen to, the, listen to the character that these teachings develop. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, I throw a disclaimer. This is not to say that this is a simple put this in and this comes out transaction, right? It says the scriptures are are able to do these things. They're able to make us wise into salvation. They're able to, these truths, when we lay hold of them, transform our lives. But that's not to say that as a parent, that if you put these teachings before your kids, they are automatically going to do these things. Obviously, we understand that those who you are teaching have to embrace and accept these things. But for the most part, this, but we are giving our kids, if we teach these things, and we're giving them the ability to believe in Jesus, to know him, and to be transformed into a people who bear his image. And so I want to as one application point to this, and we'll spend the rest of our time here, just throw out kind of a, a big statement regarding this, and that's this, that the greatest gift we can give our kids this season is to teach them sound doctrine. Like if, if you're going to give your kids anything this season, if you're going to provide something for them, the greatest thing you can give them is to teach them sound doctrine. It's, uh, it's funny because we... Um, as pastors, we'll, we'll send our notes to each other a couple days before we preach and just say, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Let me know if you have any other ideas, feedback. And when I sent this, it was funny because Ryan actually wrote back and he goes, hey, man, I, I got to be honest, this statement kind of struck me as odd at first that the greatest gift we can teach our kids is sound doctrine. Isn't, isn't really just the greatest gift we could give them just Jesus? And then his email continues and he says, but then I kind of realized 
that is sound doctrine, right? <laughs> to teach them about Jesus is sound doctrine. And I thought, well, what a great point. And that allows me to kind of point us to this idea that I use the word sound doctrine, not Jesus, because the, it's, it does their kids no good if Jesus just becomes nothing more than a mascot for the Christmas season. That is not helpful. Hey, here's the gifts, here's this, we'll watch this movie. Oh, wait, by the way, Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay, what do you mean by that? Who is Jesus? It's not just the idea of Jesus as a mascot that we need to teach our kids. It's the Word made flesh, the eternal Son of God, who stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, made himself small enough to walk upon the earth that he created, that he might blaze a trail back to, uh, back to his Father on our behalf by his death and resurrection, taking the punishment of our sins. That's the reason for the season. Not a little mascot in a manger. If we don't teach our kids that, we're depriving them of the greatest gift we could ever give them. Imagine for a minute that you had a, a daughter who was 16 and um, was about to get her driver's license, um, and you, you know she'd been asking for a car for Christmas, right? Think, okay, man, what a what a cool chance to come through big to kind of be the hero. I'll get her a car; it'll be awesome. But let's imagine for a minute that same daughter had some sort of a a chronic illness that she'd been struggling with her whole life and that was going to last the rest of her life. And, and you had the ability as a parent for a large sum of money to be able to provide for her some sort of treatment that would cure that illness and set her free from that from the rest of her life. What would a responsible parent do? And the answer is obvious, right? You could, you could give her a car, and there'd be a lot of joy and excitement in the moment because that's a new, shiny thing, right? That's, that's cool and, and exciting and fun. But that 10 years from now is going to probably wind up in the junkyard, right? 15 years if you're lucky. A responsible parent would choose the, the thing with the long-term benefit. And we sounds like, like an obvious answer, right? But guys, listen, we do the same thing if we put all of our energy and effort into what's under that tree and miss the chance to provide our kids with the greatest gift that we could possibly give them in this season, which is passing on the teachings of Scripture that are able to make them wise for salvation in Christ. Let us not miss that. 1 Timothy 4, 6 Paul's just kind of summarizing this, and he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine that you have followed. If you put these things before them, you will have done well. And the same is true for us as parents, that if, regardless of what is or is not under the tree, if we put these truths before our kids, we will be good servants. And by the way, that... The word doctrine, don't be intimidated by that. It just means teaching, right? It just means anything that the Bible teaches is a doctrine. So it's just a matter of passing along the things the Scriptures say about our God unto our kids. Um, and so we could say that that's the most important thing we could do. We could say that that trumps setting them up financially. It trumps providing for how they dress and fit in with others. It's Passing on these doctrines is more important than how we set them up for sports or what kind of an outdoorsman or hobbyist we want them to be. 
or whether or not they have what they need to succeed, or even whether or not their behavior is something that embarrasses us or makes us proud. If we provide our kids with all those things, but do not put before them the doctrines, the teachings of Scripture, we deprive them of the best thing we could possibly give them. Guys, that's not to say that those things aren't important. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says, if anyone doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever, right? Those, those more physical things are important and they're good, but they're not ultimate. And so with that, I want to move into some, some ideas for us, right? And before we go into just some ideas for how to take advantage of this season to teach these things for our kids on a practical level, I just want to say that... Um, it can be tempting to see all the ideas and kind of get that whole analysis or paralysis by analysis thing, right? There's so many ideas. We could do this. We could get that resource out, but we're kind of late to the game on that one because that started on December 1st and we're late. We could do this, but I don't know if that's a very age-appropriate thing. And so I'm going to show you a quick video that just really captures the idea that we ought to just do something, even if it's not the perfect thing, even if it's not the exact thing that we really need at this time, but that not to get distracted by that, but to really just do something. So let's, let's watch this. Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! Do you all feel motivated now? I feel like that's just like, man, that really makes me want to get it done. But for real, there's something to be said for that about not getting so bogged down in which resource to use or how to do it. Let me just challenge us to shift the focus, right? If you're going to do anything, just let it be this. We compete with the focus of this all year as parents with the boxes under that tree. It's like an uphill battle, right? And so do something to shift the focus away from those boxes and to the real meaning of Christmas and what we, the best thing we could give for our kids is. A um, couple ideas on that. Something I did with my daughter just this, this very morning with my youngest is I just walked up to our, I mean, almost all of you guys probably have a nativity scene in your house, all right? If you don't, I think you may be able to find one. Um, I think there's like two or three different ones they make. Um, so you, you can find a nativity scene for anywhere from five to $5,000, right? Get you a nativity scene. I just walked up with her and I said, hey, who is that? Oh, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Okay, who, who is Jesus? What, what makes him different than other babies? Why do we celebrate him? What was different about him? Or maybe just even look at it from other perspective. Who is that? What's well, a shepherd? Why were they there? Well, why is it significant that the shepherds were there? Well, the angels told them to come. Yeah. Why is, it, why is it interesting that the angels told shepherds? Because they were lowly and forgotten and not considered important, but Jesus came for them too. Who are those? Well, those are the wise men. Yeah, that's right. They came from afar, from the east, to show that this person was not just a gift to the people of Israel, but to all the world, right? So it's as simple as pointing at the nativity scene in your house, asking questions and explaining who those people were. Something we started doing a few years ago at, at our house is um, on Christmas morning, we read just the entire Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. Just read Luke chapter 2. Just read it. Just do it. Super easy. 
already mentioned the idea of songs, and I just want to point you back to this too. If you want to do something a little more ongoing in this thing that Nicole made near the back, there's a list of, uh, of resources, different Advent guides and things like that that different people on our church have used that have found really helpful. Guys, look, even if you've missed the boat and you're halfway through, do the back half, right? It's fine. Something is always better than nothing as far as this goes. But find some way to shift the focus from the boxes to the teachings of who Jesus is, why he came, and what he's done for us. Guys, as we wrap up, I'm going to do a couple things. Um, I put together kind of a, I mentioned earlier that there were 260 passages with the word teaching, and I, uh, I decided to just do half. Um, as it's kind of a compilation I'm going to read. No, it's not half, but it's seven or eight scriptures that talk about just the value and importance of teaching. And I just want to kind of read through them to highlight and emphasize how important this is. Um, then I'm going to pray, and then the band's actually going to come up and play a song that's a little more reflective, where it does what I was talking about, where it basically looks at Mary and says, what must that have been like for her? On that night when Jesus was born, what must that have been like for Mary and for Joseph? So I want you guys to just listen and embrace the words of that song and let it minister to you. So let me read these texts. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they trusted to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but whoever reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in this teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Every word of God proves true, proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Yes, please pray with me. 
God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the opportunities we have these next couple weeks that are unique to this season where we have the chance to talk about and teach these ancient sacred truths that have withheld your people for thousands of years and can withhold us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.